I'm Robin Amlo of IBS Intelligence, and you're listening to the IBS iViews podcast. With me is Professor Andrea Barbon of the University of St. Gallen, Professor of Economics. And you say that cryptocurrency's prime purpose is to avoid government censorship and that the resistance to censorship is the main driver of Bitcoin. I would have thought the main driver of Bitcoin is the desire to make a fast buck on most people who've invested in it. <laughs> I see your point, but uh, I'm totally convinced that the original intention by Satoshi Nakamoto and early Bitcoin developers was exactly that, to have a censorship resistance and immutable currency. And this is exactly what blockchain technology allows you to do, to have a decentralized storage of data that cannot be edited, cannot be modified by any government or institution. The idea of such a cryptocurrency is an attractive one on many levels, but Bitcoin just isn't it at the moment. Bitcoin is not a currency. It's an asset. People are trading it like an asset, like a commodity. It's not fulfilling the idea of a cryptocurrency. I totally agree with this. So Bitcoin cannot be used as a currency. So it is very far from the US dollar or the euro. However, it can be seen as a store of value. And so, you know, people may just uh, transfer their value into Bitcoins and then they can move those Bitcoins among them. And the blockchain is recording who owns uh, which quantity of Bitcoin. So, you know, in fact, it is a way to keep track of value, of wealth, if you want, in a censorship-resistant way. There is a value in that. And there is indeed much value in the blockchain and all the other ideas that are being spun out of it. And perhaps this is what we'll come on to next. If I talk about things like central bank digital currencies, or I talk about things like stable coins, but let's investigate the long-term impact of what governments are perhaps trying to do now in terms of regulating and censoring, to use your word, cryptocurrencies. So basically, we have more than one government, first of all, China, but also the UK, who are kind of cracking down on cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin in particular. If we look at what happened in China, basically, the government recently forced the shutdown of most of the mining companies in the country. So for, for those who don't know what I'm talking about, miners are basically companies who hold big quantity of servers, very expensive uh, computing equipment, and they use those, those servers, those computers, uh, 24-7, in order to submit uh, hashes uh, to, to the Bitcoin network in the hope of solving a block or of solving multiple blocks, actually. So the more hashing power you have, the more you are likely to be able to solve a block. And of course, whenever you are, get lucky and you solve a block, you will get some Bitcoin as a reward. Mining is quite a profitable business. Basically, you, you need a big initial investment where you, you buy your servers, you buy a property where you put your servers in, then you have to pay for the electricity. And as output, you get those Bitcoins. And of course, those Bitcoins have a value. And uh, the higher the price of Bitcoins, the more profitable this business is. But there are also other factors which are uh, related to the profitability of the business. So going back to the Chinese ban, this has many implications. And the immediate one is that those companies 
were highly invested in mining and were doing it in China will have to move. So they are not going to throw away their servers, their equipment. They're just going to ship them to a different country. So we already know uh, at this time that some of the equipments were shipped to uh, Kazakhstan, which is a country uh, at the border with China and where the price of electricity is pretty low. So that's uh, kind of a convenient place for miners to operate. Uh, a second destination, which is maybe more interesting for our discussion, is uh, the US. So many mining companies are right now in the process of moving their servers, their equipment to states like Texas or Florida or Wyoming. The US is a pretty interesting environment for miners because of multiple reasons. First of all, the price of electricity is pretty low. Moreover, uh, governors of Texas, uh, majors of different cities, etc., they are in favor of cryptocurrency. They are supporting cryptocurrencies. They already supported uh, mining companies in the US in the past. Some of them, they're actually mining themselves uh, privately at their place with very cheap equipment. So yeah, one of the most important implications of this ban from China is that the mining business is going to move away from China and it's going to land to the US and potentially to other countries. That's quite a big movement because uh, before the ban, basically 60% of the hash rate, so of the mining power, was in China. Why do you think the Chinese made this move then? I don't really understand why they did that. Of course, there are some uh, potential hypotheses. It could be the case uh, that Chinese authorities were just afraid about the energy consumption uh, arising from these mining apparatus. The second hypothesis is that the Chinese central bank is working on its own digital currency. And it may be the case that uh, Chinese authority would like to leave room for this currency and so, you know, push away uh, trading in cryptocurrencies and stable coins, etc. Honestly, I don't really try, uh, believe in this hypothesis. I don't, uh, I don't think that's the right thing to, to think about. Well, because uh, I don't see a direct connection between a central bank digital currency and Bitcoin mining. Those could be coexist uh, with no problems. Another potential reason, and this could be more important, is that... Um, the Chinese authority wants control. They want to know what people are doing. They want to know what kind of transactions uh, are executed. And this may become difficult with a public blockchain like Bitcoin. So maybe they, they just want to, to avoid people using it and the Chinese government can track all the movements. But again, because the, the blockchain and the Bitcoin blockchain in particular is public, Everything can be traced and the Chinese government in particular could act and, and trace all transactions in Bitcoin. Can we separate out the conversation, not so much talk about Bitcoin, but continue to talk about blockchain? Because the next step and the step in terms of getting cryptocurrencies broadly accepted and broadly used are things like KYC and money laundering because nobody wants to get involved in something, at least I like to think that nobody wants to get involved in something that might be a criminal enterprise. So how does this tie into the future evolution of the use of blockchain more generally and cryptocurrencies in particular? Of course, we have uh, right now a problem 
with interoperability, meaning that we have kind of two separate worlds. So we have transactions happening on blockchains, that could be the Bitcoin blockchain, the Ethereum blockchain, the Cardano blockchain. And then on the other side, we have uh, transactions happening in the banking sector, between banks, between institutions, but also between uh, retail customers. And these two worlds are quite separate right now. Today, they don't talk to each other. And uh, the main reasons for that uh, is that uh, compliance cannot be accomplished. So, of course, when we are talking about compliance, we think about KYC, policies, know your customer, AML, ATF for terrorist funding. And these kind of things are really hard for a bank to enforce if the bank is dealing with transactions made on the blockchain. And so, of course, as more and more people uh, use blockchain-based currencies, uh, it would be nice if we could make these two worlds uh, speak to each other. That would allow for a really mainstream adoption of, uh, of blockchain technology and ensure that compliance is possible. So in this regard, I believe a very interesting project is the one carried over by the Cardano Foundation. So Cardano is developing a new blockchain, which is currently available to, to users, but is continuously being developed and upgraded. They have the will to achieve total interoperability between blockchain and bank-based transactions. So basically, in order to achieve that, first of all, they need to make it possible to include metadata about transactions in the blockchain. Well, metadata is basically the story behind the transaction. So abstracting from uh, how much money or tokens were transferred, uh, metadata may contain data about what item was purchased, what was the purpose of the, of the transaction. That's the first very important thing. And this uh, metadata um, possibility is already available for the Cardano blockchain. And then we have a second uh, step, which is maybe more subtle, and that's about attribution. That's about certifying the identity of different uh, blockchain users. If you have metadata, and then you can also um, attach this to the identity of users, then you can easily uh, become compliant with KSC, AML, and ATF. Because for each transaction, you know who made that transaction, and you know the past and future history of the money traveling through that transaction. Achieving uh, attribution or identity certification is kind of a subtle problem because uh, putting uh, sensitive data in a public blockchain is, of course, problematic. So you do not want the entire world to know the reason behind your transaction, right? You would like only interested counterparties like your bank, like the exchange you're using, to know about that so that they can comply with KYC, etc. Cardano developers are uh, actually working in this direction, and I hope uh, this will soon be possible, and it will open to advance of possibility. For instance, once we, we have um, attribution identity uh, based on the blockchain, we could forget about logging in to our favorite websites. Right, with username and passwords. We could just use our blockchain wallet that certifies our identity and uh, that could be our basically digital passport or digital ID. Professor Andrea Barbon, the University of St. Gallen, thank you very much.